horror pa- podcast hosted by myself and my co-host Steve. You can find us at Be Afraid Horror Podcast on Instagram. Today we'll be discussing Cabin Fever, which came out at the Toronto International Film Festival in September 2002. Description of the movie that starts off, um, the story follows a group of college graduates who rent a cabin in the woods and begin to fall victim to a flesh-eating virus. This movie was directed by Eli Roth. Um, he's one of my favorite horror directors of recent times, I want to say since the 21st century has begun. You could, uh, his resume includes he uh, produced two movies, Clown and Aftershock, and he also wrote the movie Aftershock, and he directed Hostel, Green Inferno, also the, he also directed the fake trailer for the Grindhouse films called Thanksgiving. And he also does a horror, uh, a show called History of Horror. And it's kind of like what me and Steve do, do here. Um, he just dissects horror films in that. And he has a guest on there, like Tom Sabini and um, I want to say Quentin Tarantino and other, other people in the movie industries that help him dissect these films. Steve, um, your opinions on seeing Cabin Fever? I liked it a lot, though I have mixed feelings about um, the comedy aspect of it. Just because some parts didn't like really like land for me, like tone-wise, um, like some of the characters came off like characters that would be like in um, kind of like a spoof movie or like a Judd Apatow movie. Uh, for example, that guy in the beginning with with the shotgun and his son that bites the people. Like um, that was one of the first scenes, and, and from there I, I thought like I knew what kind of movie it was gonna be. But then like that type of comedy doesn't um, come back again. So there's like all types of comedies, all types of horror, and it's just very a very unconventional movie. It reminds you a lot of like Tarantino's filming style. Um, I had to watch it twice actually, just because um, I had to like process it. Like I did enjoy it, but I just didn't really understand what Eli Roth was like going for. I know he's a big horror fan, and I know it was his first movie, which is pretty impressive. I gotta say, because even though it's low budget, it doesn't look it at all. Like I, I wouldn't believe you if you told me the budget for this movie um, before. I mean, after like right after I saw it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say yeah, that looked like a low budget movie. It, it wasn't. Looks wise, it wasn't, but direction and and like decision making wise, it does come off as like a a movie that a guy would make with his friends, like you know, like uh, an aspiring filmmaker, which is kind of what it was because I heard that he wrote it in college, and I know, like I said, Eli pays homage and he loves his horror movies, so it's like a little bit of like um, a little bit of everything, like paying homage to horror movies. There's there's comedy and then there's there's horror, there's action, so it reminds you a lot of like a fun film that you make with a friend. So for that, it's it's good, but at the same time, it, it's just a little comes off a little weird. Um, a lot of like a lot of weird decisions, like for example, the dog when he's running, which I thought was cool. Um, when he's running and he sees in red, like stuff like that, like I don't understand. Like, is it is it like artsy? Like, is that trying to say that the dog is um, infected? But um, yeah, just a lot of stuff. I just I just wonder like why he decided to do that. Like a lot of weird camera cuts, uh, a lot of weird character decisions, a lot of weird lines. Um, so overall, the movie is, is really good. Just, I gotta say, it's a little weird. And that could be good and bad. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. The cuts, and like you said, when, when the dog sees, uh, with the the blood vision, stuff like that. But um, I can see why, with his history, why maybe he would do um, add a lot of comedy to it. It's different than, I, I actually appreciate the comedy in it. Um, of course, like I said, I, I love the horror and the comedy part of it. But uh, 
it reminds me more of Cabin in the Woods a little bit, the way it starts off funny like that, and they have the humor in the background. But, like, um, I could see the reasons why I could see why he would go the comedy route a little bit, too, is because when he wrote this, I, I guess he was in college, too, but he, what, he was also working on the Howard Stern private part movie. And that was, I think that was his first um, step in the film and his first part in the in his film career. And he, his job working for the Howard Stern film was, his job was basically to wake Howard up in his trailer so Howard could wake up and go to work. So they said that, like, he wrote that while, while watching over Howard's trailer. So he's worked in comedy before, even though, like, his job was just waking up Howard Stern. But also, um... Another thing is, like I said, we talked about how Eli, uh, how uh, sorry, how Sam Raimi is. He added a lot of humor in the second and third um, installments of the Evil Dead franchise, and not that it was the same type of humor. That was more like slapstick stuff. But at the same time, like you could see that Eli Roth has taken a lot from Sam Raimi. Um, again, whether it's he his first film, like Cabin. Cabin Fever, I list all those things that Eli Roth has went on to do, but Cabin Fever was the first movie that Eli Roth has actually directed. He also, um, similarities to Raimi also, he, his two brothers are in this film. His brothers, Adam and um, Gabriel, I believe his name is. Gabriel is one of the shooters at the end that, um, again, I... I do give some stuff away, but he's one of the, well, I won't say who he shoots, but he shoots one of the characters at the end. And Adam, um, Adam, his brother, is the happy guy in the bowling alley scene. So he puts his brother in the movies too. And just like Eli, and just like that Sam Raimi, Eli Roth, he is always more blood, more gore. So I could see how he, how he probably grew up being that, being that Randy Meeks, being that us, like going to the movie store, like, picking out, like, the movies, like, the VHS tapes, like, walking around for, like, remember going to the movie stores as a kid, walking around, like, the store for basically an hour, just, like, looking at all the covers and getting excited about the horror movies and stuff like that. So I could see him doing that and looking at Sam Raimi films and maybe picking up some of his humor from that, even though the humor's a little bit different. Yeah, that's funny. I thought the the guy from the bowling alley scene was um, was actually Eli Roth. That's how much they look alike. And right before that, Eli Roth was was with them in the campfire. So I thought he was just like one of those directors that wanted to be like all over his movie, like starring as different roles. But apparently, it's his brother. And um, even that first cameo, though, the one with Eli Roth, I thought that was a little like I don't know, maybe he doesn't act that well or something. But it just came off a little strange, like kind of like like forced, like oh, let's have a director cameo in this. But um. Yeah, I just didn't get the purpose of that character. Like, I know he's the one that brings the dog who, who plays a big part later on, and then you find him dead, but it, that cameo just seemed a little forced to me. And, and again, that goes back to what I was saying about the movie doesn't come off low budget with how it looks, because how it looks is very impressive. Like, it doesn't look low budget at all. But a director making a cameo in it, that is something that, like, um, you know, an aspiring filmmaker would, would want to do in it. So that, that made it come off a little more like like a low budget movie, just Eli Roth, like, being in it, like, maybe to, like, to save money or something. I just thought that cameo was a little forced. Yeah, um, I don't want to say he was the best actor in it. I, I did <laughs> like the character, but that's because I like Eli Roth, and he pretty much plays himself. Like I said, have you ever listened to Eli Roth in interviews and stuff like that? That's who he is. He, 
he sounds like just like in the movie. Um, I'm not sure if Eli Roth smokes weed or not, but like he just sounds like a stoner. And like um, again, that that's the vibe I picked up from it. But uh, yeah, no, and that's also something that he did similar to to Raimi because Raimi picked up small roles inside his films too. Like like I said, in Army of Darkness, he's an Army of Darkness. And again, um, I don't think I think maybe he says a line or two in Army of Darkness. But Eli Roth, I guess he, Eli Roth, even though like he didn't wasn't the greatest actor in this movie, he he's um, he ended up going in other movies and acting after that. Like I said, so I don't know if that's something that he wanted to do beforehand. Like I know he was um, he's in he's in AfterShock, he's in uh, Inglorious Bastards. Bastards, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So again, so I don't know if that was something that he was looking forward to doing, but the, pretty much other than him, like the uh, including him, like most of the cast of this movie were young actors, and they were all some of them came off bigger roles, but like uh, the, the biggest actor in this movie, let's say, is Roger Strong. Yes. And, yeah, yeah, and he's a he's a heartthrob, <laughs> but um, but he's um. He started off in Boy Meets World. Roger Strong plays the main character Paul in this movie, and I'm sure if you, if that I can't, can you think of another big movie that he's been in? Because I can't. No, I haven't. And that actually, at first, it took me a while to get used to, um, because the movie was coming off like like TV sitcom ish, and I couldn't tell if it was because he was at, of the way he acts or because I'm used to seeing him on TV. But towards the end, he actually grew on me, and I think he's actually one of the strongest uh, characters. In, in the the movie not just the character but the actor i think he did uh, really good overall the acting was good like they were good uh douchebags and it goes back again to what i was saying about eli roth being a a fan of um of horror movies and paying homage like he had like all the the stereotypical like characters that that you hate and you want to get killed like for example bert like as soon as bert uh, comes in on the scene you already know that this is somebody that you're going to want to die like a very gruesome death and um yeah so he had all the I don't want to say formularic, uh, like he wasn't following a formula, but he was definitely paying homage to horror movies by having those type of characters, like the annoying ones that you can't wait to see get killed, as well as like a lot of camera shots, like the Texas Chainsaw uh, camera shot, um, putting putting one of the infected people in the cellar was definitely from Evil Dead, so it's just like a lot of homages to horror in this, so it goes to what I was saying about the movie being a little unorthodox, like I, I didn't know what it was like trying to do like it was trying to be like a horror movie paying homage to other horror movies it was trying to be um a spoof a comedy it's just the tone was all over the place and but the horror movie parts i really liked and it is a horror movie so i guess that's the most important thing yeah it's terrifying and uh it the horror parts are pretty terrifying it's like um again you're stuck it it you, you kind of just put yourself in these people's situations and your five kids, like not kids, but they're they're in their they're like twenty years old, whatever. They're stuck in the middle of the woods. They have no idea what's going on for them. They just know that there's something spreading, and all of them are getting it. And they know that whatever is spreading, like I said, it's it's pretty. Like you see the girl's face falling off, like pretty much. Like you you, you know it's not something good. But um, so but I see like like you said, you see different things from uh, he takes from other movies too. And again, he uh, pays respects to other movies, and I see that too. Um, there's, I don't know, if this is a stretch. It probably is, but like the fr- and during the campfire scene that you were talking about with Eli Roth, like um, again, that reminded me. It took me back to the burning and Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, 
with the campfire scenes in there. I always thought the burning is, again, a lot of people might disagree with me, but I thought the burning is a better movie than, um, is a better movie than Friday the 13th. And that, the burning Friday the 13th and Sleepaway Camp are three movies that all came around during that, uh, early 80s. Uh, I believe Friday the 13th came out in 1980, the burning 81, Sleepaway Camp 83. I might be off with the burning year, but I believe that's when they all came out. So I, I always put, even the Friday the 13th, the original is the biggest one of those movies. I always thought that was my least favorite out of the three. Um, but also, you saw, um, we, we, we both mentioned this to each other before, in the, uh, the scene, at the end scene in the hospital, you have the guy in the bunny suit, and that's just like in the 1997, the, uh, the TV remake of The Shining, which actually Stephen King likes a lot more than the 1980 Kubrick version, mm-hmm. because uh, he says that it sticks more to his book. And I, I, I think pretty much, for the most part, I think everyone loves The Shining. Um, again, I think The Shining's an incredible movie, but Stephen King doesn't like it. And like he, he's the one that wrote it, and he is not a fan of that Cooper movie. Um, and another thing, um, I talked about this before, that in our past episodes, how, um, how Sam Raimi would go back and forth with Wes Craven, and they would kind of like, give back and forth to each other and pay respect to their films. And one Wes Craven film, the Wes Craven film that he actually started off on was The Last Ass on the Left. And there's a song in that movie called The Road Leads Nowhere, and it's sung by and performed by actor David Hess, who is one of the rapists and murderers in the movie Last House on the Left. And that song in the beginning, and I didn't realize this until I recently watched Cabin Fever again, you hear that song in the beginning while they're driving to the uh, campsite. And that was definitely done on purpose. And that was definitely giving a little shout out over there to Wes Craven and Last Has Some Loved. So I thought that was awesome. And I, I also noticed um, at the end scene, there's no way that they didn't get this from Night of the Living Dead also um, towards the end where, again, where, the, where they shoot the guy down in front of the cabin. Because that's exactly what happens to actor Dwayne Jones, who is pretty much the, uh, I want to say Dwayne Jones is the Jackie Robinson, the horror films. Like, he was the first main black actor to star as a starring role in the horror film. And again, like I said, when they, uh, by the way, I always say, like I said, I, I never said this, so don't go back and try to figure out where I said this. This is just something I say. But um, in Night of the Living Dead, they end up... Uh, filming that with making Dwayne Jones the main actor. And the director of Night Living Dead, George Romero, said that they had no intention of having a black actor play him. He just did such a great job while uh, while trying out for the role that they put him in it. But again, that's something dangerous that they did back then, too. You don't put, like, this is 19... I want to say Night Living Dead came out in 1968. Hmm. You don't put a black actor in your movie as a main role. You, usually that that's dangerous for that time and he did that and that's also something huge that night living that did other than becoming the biggest zombie film of all time but um yeah but these are all things that i noticed like you said that they gotten from other movies and that they ended up putting in cabin fever yeah um that goes to the the name 
I thought hearing the name Cabin Fever, I thought I knew exactly what it'd be about. I thought it would be like The Shining or like The Lighthouse, um, where people are just locked in somewhere for a long period of time, and then eventually they go crazy and, and kill each other. I was surprised to find out that's not what it's about. It's about a, a sickness. I wouldn't uh, wouldn't have thought that by the name, but by the end, um, the boy meets world guy does get like a little more edgy, and you know his vicious side comes out. So there is that that part. Like I don't know if that was due to cabin fever, but that was, and that goes again with me. Excuse me, guys. Saying um, I don't understand what they're trying to trying to say. Like um, the boy meets world guy at the end, he becomes really really vicious. But what? Why is that? Um, do you know? I don't know. Maybe it's because he just got to that point where it's again. Sometimes even like even the sweet guys, even the the good girls, whatever. Like when you push them to that point, and like they have a breaking point, and you could be a good, sweet, nice guy or whatever. You could be a a, a girl who's like a sweet girl, or whatever. Like. When you get to that point where it's do or die, your personality and character just change. And like I said, again, because some people are tough. It's like uh, I, I have friends of mine that are saying people can um, they, they misjudge me because they think that I'm weak because I'm such a nice guy. But they don't understand that like that's I'm a nice person because I'm a good person. But when push comes to shove, I'll become that asshole. Yes. Like I said, and you'll see it change in me. So maybe when the movie gets further on and on and on, and he realizes, like, this is who I need to be, this is what I have to be, maybe that's why he does that. Uh-huh. And he did that very well, the actor, um, well, Ritter Strong, right, is his name? Uh, Ryder Strong. Ryder Strong, yeah, he did that very good, because the most memorable parts of the, the movie are when he's, um, you know, his vicious side comes out, when he, when he stabs the guy with the stick, when, um after he comes out of the cabin, when he uses Bird as bait, which is also very savage, um, and a good way for Bird to go out. Um, I thought that that was a very memorable scene, and the part when the dog is chasing him with the red vision, and then you see uh, Ritter running running out, and he falls, and he grabs the rifle, and then he points it. That was a very cool camera shot. And then it immediately cuts to the next scene, which again goes through Eli Roth's um, filming style, which I, I know I'm cr- kind of criticizing a little bit, but at the same time, Makes up for some very cool, like stylistic uh, camera shots like that. I thought that was a very cool scene. Yeah, and what you were saying about like the dog and um, when he um, again with the deputy at the end stuff too. Again, like you, you, it's as good as good as the person you are. Like if a dog's about to kill you, mm-hmm. like right, you, you need to make the decision. And his character was maybe something he doesn't want to do. I'm sure if he didn't have to do it, he wouldn't do it. But his character is strong enough that you know. It, it's survival. Like, okay, like he he also knows that the deputy uh, deputy Winston, which I think is a, one of my favorite characters in a horror movie. I think it's great. Like, he brings a comic relief, but like he he's great. But like I said, at the end when he realizes that this guy isn't his friend, he's not trying to help him. Like I said, it's like all right, well, you know, my it's survival. Like I said, you don't want to help me. I don't, I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, uh, but um, again, so, so the I I love that scene at the end with the. With, with the musicians and stuff, and like he, uh, they, um, the guy gets the harmonica stuck in his throat, it's <laughs> playing in his throat. I thought, I thought that was great, but um, yeah, and I was, um, yeah, talking about that deputy, I immediately had to look him up, see who that actor was because I, I did not, I never saw him, and never did I see somebody act that way either. Um, I thought, like you said, it was very, very funny. 
And I would say he's kind of an homage to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre um, deputy, how he was corrupt, except like in a different way. Um, I'm a, the original had a deputy too, right? It wasn't just the old three remake. I gotta rewatch it. The original of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Yes. Uh, no. I, I oh, I didn't. Okay, never mind. So it wasn't from that because they both came out in 03. Uh, I was going to say he's probably paying homage to a corrupt deputy um, by having him accept the opposite instead of being like a nasty, like vicious guy. He's like this guy that just wants to party and is laid back and doesn't take things seriously, which you could say is as dangerous as a corrupt cop. You know, a guy in authority being so all about just partying and, you know, and ignoring his, his, um, his, his commands from his officer saying that he's going to go check out something and then he's really just partying. Um, yeah, he was really funny and his facial expressions, his line delivery, you know, just that guy was one of the highlights of the movie. And then especially when he rides away in a bike, I thought that was hilarious. But then again, it confused me and I was wondering like, what, what is this movie trying to say? Like, it's just all over the place. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a great, he's like the, um, I mean, totally different character, but he's, he reminds me of, I, I, I was just reading, I, I bought the, I bought like a Batman magazine the other day. Um, I, I, I hate supermarkets. I go into supermarkets and like, I end up spending $15 on magazines when I'm there. So sometimes 20 bucks that they got time magazines and all that stuff. And I'll buy like, I bought like a Van Halen magazine the other day. And I bought a Batman magazine where it goes over the history of Batman. And they say it too in the magazine. And this reminds me of, the guy that plays him is a, uh, Giuseppe Andrews, and this reminds me of him a little bit because they were talking about Heath Ledger, and they were like, yeah, the movie was good, The Dark Knight. It was like a really good movie, but you always just kept waiting for Heath Ledger to be in it. So it's like the, the whole time without him, it was like the waiting part, and that was like a little bit like Giuseppe Andrews in this movie. And like, again, he, he had the best lines in the movie. Yeah, he said like, uh, he was talking to him, and... This is why Ryder Strong thinks they're friends and stuff. Like, like they're they're on each other's side because he he goes up to him and is like, "You're top priority. You're the party guy. You know how many parties we're gonna have, man?" And like, uh, like uh, it's just so like, random. He, he, he sees Jordan Ladd through the uh, Paul Walker's um, love interest in the movie. I want to say she comes out of the uh, out of the cabin and he goes. Everything's fine. Have yourself a forty. Just party. <laughs> Have yourself a forty. <laughs> it's just funny. Like you guys just wait for him to go on there, and you know how much of a dick he is, and 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 you kind of know, like even in the beginning, that he's full of shit. Yeah. And, like he, yeah, yeah. But like he's still just a funny, like the comic relief character in there. It's, it's, it's same with he's in Bert, the guy Bert mm-hmm. in the movie. He's comic relief too. Like. um I, I forget what he says, but um, they're talking about, like, I think, um, I forget, the, Jeff, the guy in the movie, and his girlfriend, um, Marcy, they're, they're putting out a fire, and Jeff's coming back from hunting squirrels, and he says another funny line about hunting squirrels, in it, but, like, I'm not going to say, I don't want to offend anybody, but, like, uh, but, um, but he comes back, and they're complaining about the fire, and he goes, well, who are you, Smokey the fucking clown? Like, uh, Smokey the very asshole. <laughs> Yeah, he's a uh-huh. typical idiot. But, uh, yeah, we, we don't have to quote what he said, but we should talk about, though, um, Eli Roth's dialogue. Because um, I, I know he wrote it, too. And this movie is, uh, is very early 2000s with how they drop words like, like you know, gay and, and retard and all that. It's just like a typical insult. I, I, they must have said that word at least four times each. And I love, I just love how much of, like, um, even though it, it is, like, I'm glad we came a long way from those days, but um, 
I like how that's like a product of its time. Like this is such a 2002 movie, the way they talk. Well, that's also a big reason why, even though it's like it was more acceptable then, that's a big reason why it was hard for have for him to have like a film company pick up his film. Like I said, when it was first shot, it didn't become big until again we're, we're doing at. I think we forgot to mention this in the beginning. We mentioned this in the last episode, but we're doing anniversary movies for the next two months. So this movie is the 20th anniversary. It technically came out in 2003 in the United States, but it came out at the Toronto Film Festival in 2002. And I remember, like, uh, I remember first seeing this movie in the theater, and I was sitting there going, um, I didn't know what I was getting into. I, I didn't know all those movies that I listed earlier. I listed Clown, Aftershock, Hostel, Wind Inferno, even the trailer for Thanksgiving. Um, go watch the trailer for Thanksgiving if you haven't seen it. Type in YouTube Thanksgiving e- Eli Roth. It's a, it, I kept waiting for them to actually make that movie. It looked amazing. It's just a two-minute fake trailer that I made, and it's great. But um, what, what I was getting at is that this movie before the Toronto International, International Film Festival, nobody wanted to pick it up. They they wanted a movie like Scream, and they wanted them to because that that's what was big. Um, we, we will be discussing, I know what we did last summer in about a month or so, but uh, and me and Steve are both psyched about that episode. It's one of our favorite movies also because we're both huge screen fans. Um, if you haven't picked it up from the last four episodes. But um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but they wanted that. They wanted Scream. They wanted Urban Legend. They wanted I know what we did last summer. They, they wanted uh, Valentine. They wanted stuff like that. But Eli Roth was like, no, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go into this infection movie and which he actually wrote like we said it took him eight years to, to make this movie so he wrote that even before Scream came out he wrote that in 1995 and he also um, again we were talking about like uh, he would say gay and stuff like that And but there's also a scene in a uh, convenience store that they go into where he says a word much more uh, I, I guess um, much more I don't want to say discriminated. They're both pretty discriminating, but it's a word that, that you, you wouldn't want to hear in a mainstream movie. Mm-hmm. And like that. So he says that word, and film companies were saying, you need to lose that word in the movie, and you need to put less gore in it, and you need to make it more like Scream with like uh, with um, the whole slasher genre. And Eli Ross like, no, no, I'll just wait my time. It's my movie. And when someone picks up, I will. And at the film company, I mean, at the film festival, it did great. It was, it was rated like the best movie there. Um, it only cost him, I think, uh, 1.5 million to make. I can't believe that. Yeah, yeah. And again, like I said, the, the film company that ended up picking it up was Lionsgate. Um, Lionsgate is a huge um, horror film company. Like I said, they make other movies too, but they're known for horror. They um they've done House of a Thousand Corpses, they've done uh the newer movie that came out last year, the year before, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which I always remember because that was one of the books that I read as a kid, so I was psyched when that came out. And that movie, like when it came out, I saw the trailer for Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I felt that was kind of like a kids type movie a little bit, like a Goosebumps type movie, but that movie was pretty scary. Like there's some 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 spooky scenes in that movie and some creepy scenes but um they also 
Lionsgate did High Tension, the French film. They did American Psycho. We spoke about Cabin in the Woods. They did that and what what Lionsgate is what the movie that I picture when I see, when I see Lionsgate is Saw, and that's probably like their biggest movie out there. But um, but going into it, like I said, so Lionsgate ended up picking them up. It cost um, they picked the movie up for three point five million dollars. And so that was the lowest, um, the 1.5 million that it cost to film it was the lowest amount that it cost to film a Lionsgate movie that year. And the movie made $30.5 million, which was the greatest profit that a Lionsgate movie made that year. So talking about what a good job it did, lowest cost and greatest profit of that year for Lionsgate. Yes. Which is awesome. And then Lionsgate will go on to uh, hit the jackpot with with Saw, I mean, they hit the jackpot with Cabin Fever. Um, that, that brought them to the next level. But then um, you're telling me they did Saw, which I think is funny because then Eli Roth uh, directed Hostel, which is very Saw-inspired. I'm wondering when he wrote that, if he wrote it before or after Saw. But either way, I think I think that's pretty that's pretty cool that Lionsgate um, you know, gave us an Eli Roth movie and then it gave us a Saw movie and then Eli Roth gave us a Saw-like movie. Maybe one day we'll cover Hostel. But yeah, I want to give credit to Eli Roth though for a couple things because I know it sounds like I don't like the movie, but I really do. It's just um, like I said, the tone is all over the place. But the guy has a very, really good eye for um, good camera work. He, his the very first shot of the movie is beautiful, and the whole setting is very nice. I like how it's not in the um, the whole movie takes place in the daytime, which is very, you know, hard to make a horror movie that takes place in the daytime the whole time and it being still. I know there's been a lot of other ones, but. For the movie, for a movie that takes place in the daytime, it's it's very, very scary and a lot of really disturbing imagery, and I like the fall setting, and um, yeah, I just wanted to give him credit for that. And the, oh, the the soundtrack I liked a lot, the the Cabin Fever soundtrack, whatever it is that that dum dum that just keeps happening throughout like the intense scenes. I thought that was very well done. I'm not sure if you know who, who the music's done by, but yeah, I want to give the the camera work and the music credit for sure. I don't know who did the music. Um... Hey, one thing, while, while we were waiting to do this podcast, um, I, I want to give a, a shout out to um, to whoever did the soundtrack for Scream 2. I was listening to the Scream 2 soundtrack at, at, as we were um, as we were waiting to do this podcast this morning. I, I, there's, um, I was listening to a band called The Eels on the Scream 2 soundtrack, but they got the Foo Fighters, and the, they got, um, they got, they got uh, Cottonmouth Kings, it's just a great soundtrack. Gotcha. Do you, gotcha, you, do, you do you know where where um, Cabin Fever was filmed? Because like I said, I, I really like the false like the whole movie's really beautiful. I don't know where it was filmed. Um, I will say we, you brought up the the light situation. Um, I the funny thing about that is that th- there's some pretty gory scenes in that movie. Uh, pretty pretty disturbing gory scenes too. Um, one, one of those scenes is where the actress who plays Marcy is her character shaving her legs, and you kind of see the skin coming off of there, which is funny because, like I said, that that's kind of what gave um, gave Eli Roth the idea to, to make that movie because when he was younger, he got a skin infection, and he was shaving his face, and I think he was 19, he said, and parts of his face were shaving off. And so he had to go get it checked out and couldn't really tell what was going on. But that, that's what gave him the idea to do that movie. But when they filmed that scene in the bathroom, um, the lights dim. And that's because they filmed that at night and they had to use artificial light. And that's 
because the guy who plays Jeff, I think his name is Joey Kern. Um, Joey Kern is the only other movie I could think of him in is Super Troopers. He's the guy. He's one of the three kids in the movie who throw the party at the end, and uh, they pick up uh, the the, the uh, Super Troopers pick up, and the one kid's licking the glass in the back. He, he's licking the glass at the cop car, and he goes, "Snozberries tastes like snozberries." And my dad's actually, my dad knows that that actor's a father from, my dad worked at the gas station for 30 years, and he knows his father from going to the gas station. But, um, yeah, but what was I getting at? Um, Joey Kearns, um, what was I trying to say there? Uh, shoot, I just went blank for a second. That, that's what happens when I get, when I go off track. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but these guys were, like I said, he was in Super Troopers, and, um, at the end, she's shaving her legs, and you see, oh, Joey Kearns kept getting sick on set, so he kept getting um, he gets kept getting hurt and sick, so he had to go to the hospital five or six times. Which actually, if you look under um, the film credits at the end of the movie, Ross' brother, um, not Adam, the other one, Ross' brother, uh, can't think of his name right now, but the the other brother. He was credited as the guy who brings Jeff Kearns back and forth to the hospital. So I thought I, I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, jo- Joey Kearns, sorry. But so since they kept going back and forth to the hospital, they uh, they used the artificial lighting during that last scene while shaving her legs because they couldn't they couldn't uh, they couldn't film at the right time. So because of that, they had to film it later on, and they couldn't film it during the day, so they filmed it at night. So you could tell when she's shaving her legs that the scene is dimmer. So that's. What you remind me when you said that they mainly tried to shoot during the day, but there were also problems with that. Yes, uh, and um, uh, also you pointed out I know what you did last summer. Um, we both noticed that that part when uh, I think it was Bert and um, the lawyer guy they're investigating, and then they find out that that was an awesome scene. By the way, the lady uh, that was dissecting the pig, and then she goes crazy and. And she sees that it's infected. That was a really funny scene because you don't know what the hell is going on. It's just scary just because of how confused and like how bizarre it is. But yeah, when they're in her house and then they see a picture of, of her cousin, Henry, it's the guy that Bert uh, shot, the, the guy that, that was infected that, that they, um, you know, set on fire. That reminded me of, I know what you did last summer, when, when they go and they see that the fisherman is related to the lady that, that they were, um, you know, asking questions to. So that was definitely a callback to that, I think. Yes, yeah, funny that when you told me that Ronnie of uh, I know you did last summer, I, I, I forgot I forgot that exact scene until I saw it recently again and I was about to tell you too that it remind, remind me of I know we did last summer because like you say you talking about obviously the scene I know we did last summer where they find out it's the uh, it's a brother that died, the, the thing um, and they uh, they walk by Ann Hetch's house and they go to see Ann Hetch and photos there but again like uh, that's the same scene where not the same scene but the same house where you get that awesome and uh, it's like the uh steve mentioned before you get the texas chainsaw massacre shot of marcy's ass going up to the house and it, it, it's it's ident- i remember watching that in the theater being like oh my god this is like watching texas chainsaw massacre in the theater it's, it's, it's like exact same scene but, um, yeah, I want to talk about about Bert because he's one that goes with the whole theme of what I'm saying about just being confused and not knowing what they were trying to tell you. Because um, he's clearly a douchebag, and like we're supposed to root for him to die, but at the same time, 
he has like some redeeming qualities like he was actually a pretty good friend with karen and like guarding her and like volunteering to guard her um when when they had to lock her up and also he i would say was the smartest one out of all of them because from the very beginning he didn't want the he don't want to let the the affected guy come in the house he was the one that was like all right guys like like no we can't feel bad for him like fuck that i'm not getting sick like bird is like an asshole but at the same time he's right so i just i had a hard time knowing like how we're supposed to feel about certain characters um and ritter strong i think he he was the best part about the movie but um i i also wasn't sure if we're supposed to think he's like he's like uh, a nerd or like he's like shy or something like, i know he was trying to talk to that girl since seventh grade or something and then yeah he just comes all kind of like like a good guy but then at at the end he turns in you know what he turns into so i don't know if we were supposed to like sympathize for him just uh, the characters were just like all over the place well i feel like sometimes you you need like i said you, you in life you need different people around you so you need assholes in life like the, the, there are people where i'm like I've, I've dealt with people in life where i'm just like all right this guy's a prick guy I, I don't need him here but like the person saying what's on his mind, and they're saying like the smart thing, even though it might not be the right thing to say. It's a smart thing to say. Um, example: I was at work last night, and we're starting to pick up because I, I I work in a restaurant, and it's getting to be summertime, and people have off during the weekdays now. So I I, I mean not off, but kids are coming home from school, and people are barbecuing, and they're going to the beach during the weekend. So we're getting busier during the weekdays. So we're we're in that transition period right now. So, but you also like. As a manager of a restaurant, you need to be aware of labor and all this stuff. So again, you're still you're starting to ease your way into staffing correctly for this period. And yesterday, our cooks were. Um, I feel bad for our for our guests because I jumped on the line. I was cooking, and nobody wants to eat my food. But um, so I jumped on the line, and I go back to my office for a minute, and someone that works with us came by, and like he's like he's like he's like our expo is talking to me like this, like. Nobody should be talking to anybody like that. Blah blah. She she, she she told me to like go 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 bug off and just go back to the dishwasher area. And I'm like, well, what happened? He's like, uh, yeah, I, I was just talking to the cooks, and I'm like, well, there you go. I'm like, that expo might have been being an asshole to you, but it needed to be done. Like I said, these cooks are backed up right now. They have screens and screens of food, and you're going over talking about movies. <laughs> I'm like, I, I love talking about movies. I'm doing it right now. But like I get, but again, sometimes you need that person to put you in your place. You 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 need that um, you need that Bert to say, all right, she's staying in that room. I don't care how it makes her feel. That's the right thing to do right now. And like I said, so it's like the same situation. It's like all right, like it's not something that anybody wants to hear, but that's the way it is. And I feel like it's important to have those people in life. Yeah, for sure. I liked also that there was no jump scares in this movie, but there is one jump scare, and of course it's from Bert doing a prank when he's in the house and he scares um the girl that was shaving her legs. So I thought that was pretty funny that there was zero jump scares, and the one jump scare we do get it's it's Bert being an asshole. So I thought that was pretty cle- cleverly done. Yeah, no, they they they, um, they definitely stuck more to to gore and uh, blood than, than jump scares. Yeah, 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 and those some of the setup shots were just like really nice. Like it's very good at um, putting you in that that setting, wherever that cabin was. It's I don't know, it looks like upstate New York, but whatever it is, the setting was. And I like the fall setting. Like it was just a really really cool setting, and a lot of the camera camera work does it justice. Especially when um, I forgot what part it was, but when it pans up 
And then again, that red filter comes on. I don't know if you, if you know why why he decided to do that. One of those style choices I'm not I don't understand. But I liked it though. I thought that was pretty cool. There's I think it's the part when when um oh, what's Ritter Strong's character's name in this? Paul. Yeah, when Paul stabs the guy with the stick, the um, uh, uh, the camera pans up, and then that music comes in and it turns red. Like I don't know why he decided to do that, but it was cool though. So. It goes with what I was saying. Like it's confusing, but it, it's there's a, a lot to like about this movie. I can't say I didn't like it. It's just didn't understand the tone really. I I don't know why they did that red stuff too. But again, like listeners, again, we, we want your feedback. Like I said, you know, you you uh, or you have a feeling why they did it. You you throw that in the comment section because again, like I said, we we love to know why. I'm sure our listeners that don't know would like to as well. Um, yes. But uh, yeah. Um, no, I feel so like this movie again. Like I suck. It, I I feel so not not only the setting, like you said, it was cool, like the setting, but um, also like the characters. They even though Eli Roth, they want him to do like a screen type movie, like the uh, the um, the film companies and stuff. I feel as though another great thing about the movie is that the characters, like, like we're talking about Bert, we're, we're talking about um, Jeff, we're talking about these guys. Um, these are guys that you can relate to. These are people that I can see myself hanging out with. They they, they, they aren't the best actors in the world. Um, James DeBello and Giuseppe Andrews, who actually are um, Deputy Winston and Bert. Deputy Winston is Andrews and DeBello is Bert. You can see them in... The biggest movie that I know both of them in is Detroit Rock City. The movie made about the Kiss fans who's trying to get the Kiss concert in the 90s. And they're two of the main four kids, along with um, Eddie Furlong. And I can't think of the, who the other kid in the movie is. But they are two of the main kids in that. But they aren't known as great actors or anything. Um, Jordan Ladd, who plays um, who plays Karen, the love interest in the movie, Apollo, she went on to be in Hostile, too. She was in Club Dread. Um, I like her because she's in Waiting. Because, again, like I said, I manage a restaurant. I've been working in a... Applebee's, uh, I'll say whatever I work. I don't know if it's the exact type, but I work on Applebee's, I already said it. Um, and again, I've been working there since I was 22. So again, like I said, um, again, that's why I find Waiting to be a great movie. It's just, if you ever want to watch a movie that's dead on accurate to the restaurant business, it's Waiting. And there, there's a couple of things in there that we don't do. Uh, the disgusting stuff. So don't worry about going to have the restaurants with that stuff. So there's a couple of scenes in there that, that do not happen, at least in any restaurant that I've been working in the last 15 years. But, um... I, I don't even recognize her, I don't, that she wasn't waiting. Um, I want to point out that scene when they find her and her her bottom face is ripped off. Um, that reminded me of, of, like, the Evil Dead cover, like, Evil Ash a little bit. Like, I, I think that was from Evil Dead also, just, like, the cellar part. Well... Again, like I said, with there, there were a lot of gory scenes like that, and like disturbing scenes like that in this movie. Like, um, I, I like even with the dog, when the dog is hunting down Marcy, and he ends up, you see like her ripped off leg and stuff like that. You see her foot like ripped off, and you see the dog uh, eating the guts and things like that. Yeah. And even that scene got to me again. I mentioned before with the harmonica inside the guy's throat at the end. I thought that was pretty pretty cool effect that they did there. And um, even though it's not um. It's not like gory, but like you see, you just see um, Ryder Strong Paul. You see him playing with his honey in the beginning, uh, but like 
right after they see like what happens with the infection, like like what it does to your skin, what it does to you, and you see it like just like pouring off of his hands, and it just it makes you think about that. Yeah. Just, like again, like I thought that was a cool scene, but um, yeah. But when it comes to because of all this stuff, Eli Roth is a member. I don't know if you guys know the Brat Pack. The Brat Pack is all those 1980s kids with, uh, um, I guess the, the biggest one that everybody knows right now is, um, what's his name, Rob Lowe. But then you have uh, Robert Downey Jr. was part of that, um, Molly Ringwald, um, Judd Nelson. These are all people in Pretty in Pink and the Breakfast Club and uh, the Outsiders and all stuff like that back then. Then they had the, um, they had the uh, what do they call them, the... Um, the Frat Pack, which was the um, Will Ferrell and Vince Vaughn and all of them, and, and uh, Owen Wilson, and they also they, these were all like just um, just like spinoffs of the names uh, the Rat Pack, which was uh, obviously Sammy Davis Jr. and Dean Martin and, and Frank Sinatra, of course, and um, yeah, so this is all like spinoffs of those names, but again, these guys were named. Uh, the uh, the splat pack, so they they were the splat pack, and the guys involved like in, in that in that group were Eli Roth, and then we talked about Saul before. James Wan is known as being part of that group. He did a uh, he did Insidious and Conjuring, and like we said, Saw. He made Saw, and the funny thing about James Wan is that just like just like Sam Raimi's doing the Doctor Strange movies, um, James Wan did all those horror movies, and then he directed Aquaman. And so the, so he went in the Marvels uh, to Marvel 2. And I will say, I, I know... DC. You, uh, you, you love Child's Play, right? Yes. And I like Child's Play too, but I personally like Dead Silence better. And again, so... But uh, but that's James Wan. And Rob Zombie was part of it. Rob Zombie did the remix of Halloween, a bunch of... We mentioned House of a Thousand Corpses before. And you had Robert Rodriguez, who was around before these guys, like making movies, but with from Dust Till Dawn and Machete. And again, um, I figured I, I always put the faculty, even though it's about like aliens and stuff. The faculty always reminds me of those late '90s teen movies with, uh, like we said, Scream and Urban Legend, stuff like that. Before, and another very underrated actor part of that splat pack is Adam Adam Green. And Adam Green, he did the um, he did the three. Hatchet movies. Hatchet are a pretty big franchise from the last time. There's four Hatchet movies. Hatchet 1 through 3, and then Victor Crowley. And I always picture the Hatchet movies as... Because like I said, I watch movies like Friday the 13th for the blood and gore and kills. And Hatchet takes that to another level. And Victor Crowley is pretty much just a juiced-up Jason Voorhees. And so I always like the Hatchet movies better than the Friday the 13th films. And Adam Green made those, and he also made a movie called Frozen about being stuck on a chairlift. They get stuck there overnight, and they pretty much they're they're gonna freeze because the uh, the mountains close for the weekend, and this happens at the end of a Friday night. So they're, the whole movie is about getting down. And again, it's a survival movie. And the funny thing, when Frozen first came out, I, I'm now I'm getting off track a little bit. Frozen was uh, came out around the same time that the movie Frozen came out, the kids movie. So our bartender came in talking about how she and I I don't I don't watch kids movies like that. Um, so when I hear the movie Frozen, I'm thinking about that great movie. And she's like, "Oh, I just showed my five year old daughter Frozen the other day." I'm like, "Wait, what? What's going on here?" But obviously, she's talking about the um, 
the Ursula movie or whatever the girl's name is in that movie. But yeah. That's hilarious. Again, I thought that was cool how like the Splat Pack uh, group and how they started off with that. And obviously, Captain Fever was the first movie like that in that group. That was all blood and gore and stuff like that. So I would say he did that very well. My my favorite parts are the the very gross. Like, I, um, for example, the best part of the whole movie I think is when when um, Paul falls into the dead body when he was poking in the river. That was disgusting. That that was very cool and unpredictable too. Like I don't think he was gonna fall. And also when he when he runs over the deer and the deer just starts going crazy, um, moving his legs around through the windshield. That was that was very awesome. So I think. If if the movie focused on just being um, like a Texas Chainsaw type movie, I think I would have liked it more. I, I'm not sure if I really liked the, the comedy elements that much, just because of how all over the place the tone was. Like for example, that that guy I mentioned before um, with the son. Like, what was that about? Like, I, was he supposed to be funny? Was he supposed to be scary? Um, like menacing? I, I didn't get that guy. He reminded me of um, Jason Sudeikis a little. I actually thought it was him. But I, I didn't get what they were trying to do with that guy. And then the the blonde kid that bites the people, that was actually hilarious. So some of the comedy did work for me. Um, that blonde kid I thought was very, like, at first creepy. But then when he does that part at the end, when he, when he does the kicking and the karate stuff, he was just, like, hilarious to me. So, again, I don't know, was I supposed to be scared of this kid or was I supposed to think he was funny? But either way, the kid worked for me. His dad, not so much. His dad, I just did not know, like, what movie he thought he was in. He, he just didn't fit in at all. when Paul's like, maybe you should make a sign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but again, so that wasn't originally supposed to be the movie, but it, it, it was funny. That goes, though, to what I was saying, though, how the movie, it doesn't look low budget. Like, I can't believe how low of a budget it was because of how good it looks. But the decisions they make do come off like a, a student film. Like, like, like how you just said, he saw that kid, he found out that he has a black belt. Oh, let's put that in. It doesn't matter if the story doesn't call for it. It doesn't matter if it doesn't fit in with the rest of it. Let's just put that in. That reminds me of like a, a low budget film that somebody made for fun, like with their with their friends in their garage or something. So that's what I mean with the tone. Like it's just maybe sometimes you do need a studio to be there to be like, hey, cut this out, don't put that, because Eli Roth just was like all over the place with this movie, and it reminds me a lot of like um, Tarantino's film style. And I don't want anybody to kill me, but I've never been a Tarantino fan for that reason. Just the movies are like a little too unorthodox, and I know we lost all our subscribers because of that. <laughs> Yes. But um, but um, so they got a. What was he gonna say? Uh, yeah, no. But um, do you know yeah. if that guy was supposed to be threatening? Like, I don't get that guy. Oh, and also when when he when Bert drives away, and this is a good thing, goes with what I was saying about the movie has the unpredictable factor in it. I could have sworn he was gonna get a, a buckshot. He was gonna shoot Bert while he drove away, but then no, he puts his gun down. So. Like, it builds up the tension, but then it doesn't really go down the way you think it is. And then, again, that confused me, though. Was that guy supposed to be, you know, threatening? Because he dies pretty easily at the end. He doesn't even 
he doesn't even like cause any any commotion or anything. I thought that was great thing too, where like he comes and like he does kill the, the not him but the other guy does shoot Bert, and Bert's like sitting down holding out the rifle, and Bert knows that he's dead. So again, that that that's also like again that shows Bert's character in the movie because like he's such like a goofy guy, he's such an asshole, but like at the end he knows he's dead. He knows these guys are gonna kill him, and at that moment. His goal is to protect Paul. So his goal is like, all right, well, I'm going to be here. I'll be a distraction. They're going to kill me, and then Paul can kill them. And Paul puts a screwdriver through the guy's head, and he has the other guy, and now the guy ends up shooting the other guy. But like, the other guy shot him, right? Not the dad. No, the, the, yeah, the, the, the other guy shot him. Yeah, that's what I mean. The dad, the dad didn't even like make an impact in the movie at all. Like I don't, I really just didn't understand that character. sense that he was just there Yeah. 
that's pretty, that's like art imitating, I mean, life imitating art right there, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just like a scream, too. Life imitating art, imitating life. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, and then another character I want to talk about is um, the, the Santa Claus looking guy that, that sounded like Andy Dick. <laughs> the guy with the shotgun. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah what, what was that guy's deal? And I, I might have missed a part in the movie, but was he Patient Zero? Or is Patient Zero the, the guy that, that they burned? Are you talk, I'm trying to think about the guy exactly that you're talking about. You're, you're, you're talking about the guy at the hardware store? Yeah, him. Um, I think the guy that they... I want to say it would be him, because the guy at the... The guy, um, I don't know. I, I thought that the guy that that picked it up, the, the guy, um, the guy that they burnt. Yeah, that's what I thought too. But at one point, um, um, they ask uh, the blonde lawyer guy asked Bert, "Hey, how sick are you? Did the old guy touch you too?" And that and that guy that they burnt didn't come off like an old guy to me. So that part kind of confused me a little bit. So, I'm pretty sure that you're talking about the guy that they burnt. Though. Okay, yeah, I guess he was pretty old. <laughs> But I was like, when, yeah. when he said that, I was trying to look back. I was like, wait, the guy, because I couldn't think of any other old guys. But, yeah. But also, when you're 20 years old, like, I remember being 19, 20, and, like, <laughs> people my age were old. So, like, uh, if, if I had it and I touched somebody, like, I wouldn't be shocked if somebody called me the old guy. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, yeah, there's that, that Eli Roth dialogue, though. I, I think could have been supervised, like, a little better. Um like maybe they shouldn't have referred to him as an old guy just because it's confusing. But that joke yeah. with, with the with the N word, um, I, I think it works at the end, minus the hip hop music when the black guys are, are walking in. I thought that was a little unnecessary. Um, it's a funny joke, and I'm glad that that's what what he meant by it when when he said that. Like, oh, this is for them. But um, it didn't. It just didn't help that they added hip hop music to it. So I, I feel I would say that maybe a studio. Should filter Eli Roth a little bit. Um, not not that it was like offensive or anything. It's just like the jokes like all over the place. Like so is it so is it a joke like like on us like oh you thought he was being racist but really the guns for them, or is a joke that that they are racist because like um, just, again the tone was all over the place. I, I I didn't know what he was trying to do in some parts. So I would argue Eli Roth might need like somebody to like filter his ideas. Yeah, I I thought that I thought it was like that wasn't really racist, but like at the end. At the end, like, the end of the day, even if they didn't do the joke at the end, like, I would have still, like, again, it's a mess of thing to say, but there's people out there that do act like that. And exactly. It's like, in the middle of like, a redneck town, it looks like it, and, like, I wouldn't be shocked if someone in that town would say something like yeah, that. Yeah, and I, I wasn't shocked at all, and I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, oh, yeah, um, there's characters like that. It's realistic. But then at the end, when they do turn it into, oh, it was a joke all along. It's like, I get it, it is pretty clever, but then why did they put the hip-hop music while the black guys walked in? Uh, I thought that was yeah. pretty funny. <laughs> I'm not sure, but like I said, but yeah, yeah. at the end, like I said, like, something I felt like they didn't need at the end, but at the same time, like, again, it's being a comedy horror, and they wanted to that little, that last piece of comedy there to get you laughing. Yeah. But, uh, uh, one, a really funny line, Um, I just had this in my notes, I don't know when, when I'll be able to say this, I just wanted to say, um, when Karen is really... When, when she's infected and she's clearly like dying and super sick and then she says I think I have a fever <laughs> like no shit <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I felt, I felt I, again like I felt bad for that girl but like for, for Karen but at the same time you talk about like the movie's about survival and like I said you're, you're lucky that you have a guy like Bert there yeah just like keep him there and um again um 
when it comes down to uh, when it comes down to Bert and then too, and even Joey, like the, the, Joe, I think the real asshole in the movie was uh, was Jeff, the guy Joey Kern plays Jeff, the lawyer, right? And like even he, even he's making smart decisions. He goes like, I'm not eating out of these bowls. I don't know who touched them. What happened here? And like. Uh, even though it's like, this girl just made you a nice meal. It's like, all right, well, you know what? I, I don't care right now. But, um, but, uh, I, I, lo- yeah. I love hating that guy. He was a good person to hate. And then that ending was perfect. Yeah. And the ending was, again, again, the exact same, just like the exact same TC, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, shot. That's the exact same scene from uh, um, Night Living Dead. And, um, yeah, and Bert grows and, on you eventually. That guy doesn't. <laughs> that guy is hated from the beginning to the end. Yeah, and you kind of hate him more. Just <laughs> yeah, yeah. You think it's that you think that he's happy that that um oh no, you think that he's upset that everybody died, and then it turns out that he's just like uh, it's like tears of joy. He's just happy that he survived. Yeah, yeah, and it's complete opposite of of, uh, of Bert because Bert, like I said, he gives his life at the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. You seem like a good friend. And it, it's fun because obviously like, it, what's getting them infected in the movie is the water. And when you're watching it, you kind of figure that out in the beginning because you, uh, again, you, you see that, that the water's doing it. You see the water going into the pipe and going into the, the river where, where all the infected bodies are. And um, it's kind of like not the same as Scream. And I know the last summer, whatever it may be, but. It's not guessing who the killer is. That's like how you can play along in that movie. But this isn't really playing along. But you're watching it, and now you're watching to see who's getting it. It's it's like it's like who's drinking the water, who's getting the water on them, and like I said, like and, and you and and now you're going back even before you you think about like who drank the water before that, and you're trying to remember like who might be infected. So you're kind of playing along with it a little bit. Yeah. And um, I thought. Yeah, I like that part because yeah. um, you forgot about that bet, and then when he drinks it, um, I think it was Paul. He's like, "Oh, you lost the bet." That was a cool little reminder. Like, "Oh yeah, that's right." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anything else you want to add about the film, Steve? Um, yeah, just like I said, I don't want to sound like I'm criticizing it. Just that the tone was all over the place. I just would have preferred it if it was a all-out horror movie because um the the gross parts are great like the the nasty you know all the kills everything was was i enjoyed it a lot like i said i saw it twice and it wasn't just so i could like process it like i I saw it twice because i actually did enjoy i wouldn't be able to watch a movie um twice like two days in a row if i didn't really like it i would have just came on here and said yeah i hated it from one viewing i knew i needed to see it like a second time and i enjoyed it both times and um yeah it's funny that that you tell me eli ross is stoner in real life because um yeah, his character when he comes in, there's another line I wrote down that I thought was funny. When they try to tell him to like go away and like you know they're not interested, he's like, okay, I guess I'll just smoke all this weed by myself. And they're like, oh no, come on! <laughs> I thought that was pretty hilarious. And yeah, his his dialogue just reminded me of, like a character like in um we bought this up another day like in Idle Hands, like one of those like slacker stoner characters. And he even said something on the campfire, and it's, it just reminded me of 
of Road Trip. I was watching Road Trip a couple days ago, which is a classic um, directed by Todd Phillips. And in, in the campfire, uh, Eli Roth's character, I believe, says something about a dog licking his balls. And and when I was watching Road Trip just the day before, they also said something about that. So I, I think that was like just like the word, um, the words that they use, the offensive words. I think that was another really common trope in the early 2000s was to joke around about dogs licking your balls. <laughs> I've seen it uh, either that or it's coincidence that two movies that I saw in a row uh, brought that up. But um, yeah, I, I like it for for it being um, you know a horror movie. I like it as a horror movie, and I like it for it being a movie that came out in the early 2000s because I'm very very nostalgic about about that era and. It captures, like, the film style, like, the dialogue, like, everything really well. And I would like for Eli Roth to make another movie like Cabin Fever without the comedy. And also, we should note that there's a remake that came out in 2018. I, I didn't see it. I don't know if you have anything to say about that. I, again, I, I mentioned this last time how I didn't watch Leprechaun, or the new Leprechaun, or the new uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre because of how horrible they were. Um, I hear mixed things about Cabin Fever. I, I, I haven't seen the remake yet. Um, okay. I, I hear it's pretty much the exact... It's kind of like Evil Dead 2, I guess. Um, kind of like um, Halloween, the remake, where they... But I hear instead of doing like the first half, like those movies are the first half, like the exact remake, I hear everything in Evil Dead, the remake, is the same exact movie as the original... Uh, not Evil Dead, like Captain Fever. Everything in the... Cabin Fever remake is the same exact thing as Cabin Fever, except the death scenes are a little bit different. Okay. So I'll check it out. I haven't checked that yet. There's two sequels too, um, oh, yeah. called uh, Spring Fever and Patient Zero, and those those movies are fun. Um, Ryder Strong and Giuseppe Andrews, um, Deputy Winston and Paul are both in the first sequel. Really? Um, unfortunately, Ryder Strong does not survive that movie. Like for too long of a time but um but those movies are both good i've seen the sequels I, I i own the sequels but i have yet to watch the remake i really had no interest in it um i'll check it out at some point again like i said uh again i that movie to me goes fifth i i know a lot of people that said that they really like the movie and i know a lot of people say they hate it um again but I, I don't think it would be very good, but I'll give it a check. I'll check it out at some point. Yeah, let's give Ryder strong credit because uh, I'm surprised he didn't have a career after Cabin Fever because I think he proved himself pretty pretty well in this. And, uh, having range, like I said, um, at first I don't know what kind of character he was, but that's also a good thing because at first he, he was like the you know the lovable uh, nerdy guy, and at the end he shows that vicious side, and he does it very like you know very convincingly. So. He, he, he could play the straight guy, he could play the nice guy, and apparently he could also be the vicious guy, so I want to give him credit, and I, I would have loved to see him in more stuff after this. He's He shouldn't be known as just the boy meets world guy. <laughs> maybe he was in the girl meets world show, too, that came out later on. I don't know. Oh, maybe, yeah, probably. Maybe a bit Most likely. But, uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, he, he was good in the movie. It's funny, like, even, like, great actors, like, um, Surprised he wasn't a couple of things after that. But even great actors, uh, you don't see them like like I want to say great actor like Brendan Fraser. Um, certain people like like we mentioned Maya Ringwald before was big in the eighties. A lot of actors, unless you're Tom Cruise and unless you're like Mel Gibson, a lot of like Lily Tomlin and stuff like that. Like a lot of these, a lot of actors, like ninety percent of actors, they don't last more than 10, 12 years. Like, I, I, I talk, we were talking about, like, uh, I 
know what he did last summer. What are any of those guys doing now? Mm-hmm. Like, is it none of those people do anything anymore? It's like if they do, it's like made for TV movies stuff or, or like small movies that make like five million dollars like at the end of all profits. Like, I, I can't think of the last big movie I've seen Sarah Michelle Gellar or Jennifer Love Hewitt or Ryan Phillippe or uh, Freddie Prince Jr. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a, a lot of actors don't don't again. Same with Scream. Can you think of anything huge that Skeet Ulrich or Matthew Lillard or Jamie Kennedy have been in recently? Or World the I saw Matthew Lillard in um, like the soft reboot of uh, She's All That. It's called He's All That, and it's on, it's on Netflix. Don't ask me why I ended up watching that movie. I saw it with one of my cousins. And Matthew Lillard, it's funny, because in, in the original She's All That in 98, he was a student. I think he's the one that proposes the bet to Freddie Prince Jr. about, like, you can't turn a nerdy girl hot. And then in this one, He's All That, the reboot all these years later, I think it came out this year, he's now the teacher. Wait. No, no, uh, and she's all that. He plays the uh, TV star. Okay. That she ends up dating. And the one who's, like, doing the bet with him is Paul Walker. Oh, yeah, Paul Walker, that's right. Yep. But, but yeah, either way, I, I just thought it was funny that, that he was in the original as, like, a young guy, and now, all these years later, he's he's the teacher in the, in the high school of the new movie. But the reason why he's the teacher in the high school of the new movie, straight to Netflix, is because he doesn't have a career going. Oh, okay. He's mentioned, during, like, um, he's mentioned during during uh, horror conventions. He's like, he's like, he's like, I want to thank you guys coming here because, like, I I, I live for this stuff. I love to come in these horror conventions. And he goes like, I don't want to say it's because of his career now. I'm sure anyone that's going to horror conventions, most of them now is because they don't have big careers. Like, you, you're not going to see Kevin Bacon or Johnny Depp at these horror conventions. You're not going to see him there. Yeah. Um. Like, uh, again, I'm, I'm sure some of them love going there, but I'm sure if they had bigger things going on where they're making millions of dollars, they wouldn't be going there. Exactly. Um, them and but, um, yeah, no, I remember it was Skeet Ulrich and Matthew Lillard at a horror convention, and I, I always found this amazing. Uh, Matthew Lillard was like, I was paid nothing to do Scream. He's like, I was paid like a few thousand dollars. And he's like, you think about that, and it, co- it took me... Three, he, he's like, it took us like two months to film Scream, whatever, or like a month or whatever. He, it's like, I got paid a few thousand dollars for it. And like, he's like, after paying taxes on that and giving this and that away, whatever, he's like, he's like, I'm not making money from that. And he's going, um, he's go, he goes, and it's not like you're working every day. It's like, you film this movie for a month and then you don't work for three months. And then you film another movie where you make less money than that. So he was saying, "Oh, I, I make I make the majority of money from Scream is coming to these conventions and making it from you guys because you guys want to come out come out and see us." He's like, "I'm very grateful for that." Yes. And again, you, you don't think about that. You think, "Oh, this guy's in a huge Hollywood movie. He's probably doing pretty well." Mm-hmm. But he's like, "I didn't make any money for that." But um, yeah, so a lot, a lot of these actors, um, you look at people like Tom Cruise, you look at people like Jennifer Aniston, whatever, who have hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. A lot of these actors don't have that. Like I said, um, you were talking about uh, Idle Hands, which is a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, also, he mentioned Road Trip, which is an awesome movie, too. Um, a lot of those actors, other than Breckin Meyer and Amy Smart and Road Trip, um, I guess Tom, Tom Green has a big podcast, too. Jessica Alba, so, too, is doing pretty good, but not in Hollywood. Yeah, but like if you look at these guys, like I don't think Breckin Meyer is probably filthy rich anymore. Um, at some point, he probably was. 
don't think he is anymore. Mm-hmm. But uh, I can't I can't think of the last movie Brock and Meyer or Amy Smart were in like in the last decade. Yeah, definitely and, not. But uh, yeah. So again, um, and Idle Hands. You had Elton Henson, the kid from the Mighty Ducks, in it, and Devin Sawa. Like what? What does Devin Sawa? Last movie I can remember Devin Sawa in was uh, Final Destination, and that was like twenty years ago now. Exactly, twenty two. Yeah. Insane. Yeah, so again, these actors, like I said, even like Ryder Strong had a really, uh, Ryder Strong had a good career for for most actors. He he was uh, he was on Boy Meets World for a decade, mm-hmm. and then he was the hit movie. So like compared to people that can't like can't even get into the business, like he he did decent. I'm I'm, I'm sure sure he's upset a little bit that he's not in in film anymore, like like that. But again, he's he's fine. He's done better than most. Yeah, and that's good that he got this movie under his belt to um, prove that he could do more, though. I'm sure he appreciates the opportunity. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, again, I, I want to um, I want to add a little something, too. I, I think it's great how, like, Eli Roth was, like, um, again, I, I he, he's respected by a lot of great filmmakers. I know Steve mentioned that he's not a big Tarantino fan, but you could probably still admit that he's a great filmmaker oh of course for you. 100 million percent yeah so again tarantino was quoted saying after seeing um after seeing cabin fever that again uh eli roth is the future of horror and we mentioned that tarantino put him in a pretty big role in his movie glorious bastards mm-hmm. um peter jackson who just like uh just like Raimi. He started off doing um, horror movies when he was younger. He made The Frighteners. He made a couple of low-budget movies, uh, Bad Taste. He made a movie called um, called Brain Dead, which in the United States is called Dead Alive. And again, very gory, gruesome movies. And Jackson, while filming Return of the King, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think Return of the King won Best Picture. So, yeah, it did. Ranks. Yep, it did. Yeah. I'm not a big Lord of the Rings fan. I think I mentioned that before. Um, I don't like Lord of the Rings at all. I think, I think we talked about Elijah Wood the, the, the other episode. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that's like the one thing that he made that I don't like. And again, I'm not a Lord of the Rings fan, but again, just like Steve gives respect to Tarantino for being a great filmmaker, I could understand why these Lord of the Rings films, like why people love them. And I get it, and it's just not for me. Um, but mm-hmm. he saw a copy of Cabin Fever while filming Return of the King. And he said that, um, he was quoted saying that it's brilliant, it's fantastic, horror fans have been waiting for a movie like Cabin Fever, I loved it. And supposedly while re- while filming uh, the movie Return of the King, he stopped filming it twice to show the cast and crew um, screenings of Cabin Fever. Wow. So I, th- I, th- I thought that's like, again, when, when you're a new filmmaker and you're hearing guys like, like Tarantino and Peter Jackson saying this stuff about you, Definitely gives you a boost to confidence. Yeah, now, I was going to bring up Peter Jackson actually um, when we were when I was talking about how Eli Roth, you could just tell that he's a big horror fan and, a, and just a fan of film, and he just wants to put in these homages in his film. Um, reminds me of Peter Jackson, how kind of like how he got to make King Kong, which was his big passion project, um, a movie that that got him into wanting to make films, a movie that that um, you know he grew up watching over and over again and then he got to make it himself uh i got the same the same vibe with eli roth like he's been watching these horror movies all his life he's been he always loved texas chainsaw he loved this and that and now he gets to make a movie of his own and then he puts a little bit of everything he loves from them in his movie 
So, yeah, similar filmmakers, just big fans of film. And I, I'll always admire that. Even if the product doesn't come out like, you know, like something that's for me, I, I admire uh, filmmakers that are just huge fans. Like Tarantino, too. Yeah, and in the words of, um, of Hansel from Zoolander, these people are going at, like, you've seen Zoolander, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, and he goes, like, he goes, I forgot the exact quote, but he's like, He's like, Sting, do I listen to his music? No. Do I know what he's making? No. But he's doing out there. He's doing what he loves. So, you know, I, I, I respect it. I respect Sting. And, like, it's, it's the same thing with this. Like, even if I don't like what these people are doing, they're going out there and doing what they love. Exactly. And, like, and, and they're making profits on it. And, again, like I said, might not be for me, but you know what? Fuck yeah. If you're going out there and you're living your yeah. life and you're, doing, and you're enjoying it and you're doing and you're making people happy, go do it, man. And like I said, I I, I don't need to. Some person, my bartender yesterday was. She's like, my bartender on Friday. She tells me, she goes, oh, is there any way you can get my ship covered Monday? Like I I I want to. This is Friday night at 9 p.m. And she tells me there's an 8 a.m. flight that I want to take to Disney, maybe, and like and be down in Florida for. A, tomorrow to Monday for Mother's Day with my daughter and my mom. And I'm like, wait, you're planning a, like, a trip 10 hours from now to go to Disney? <laughs> like I said, that's like, I, I, I can't plan anything that short notice. Well, like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll get your ship covered. Like, not, at the end of the day, like, I want to see you happy. I, I want to see your daughter happy. Like, I remember being a kid going to Disney. It's fun, like I said. But I, I, I want the best for people. But I'm sitting there going, um, who's he going to say? Uh, yeah, well, again, it's just, again, like, it just... She, she, she was going, she came back Tuesday and she was telling about all like her Harry Potter. They ended up going to Universal Studios, not not um, Disney. But she was like, oh, with the Harry Potter thing, I'm like, all right, I, I hope you had fun doing your nerd thing. Like like I said, like I'm not into Harry Potter. I'm, I'm a geek myself. I'm talking about horror movies an hour every week. I'm watching horror movies every week. But like, I'm sitting there going, all right, well, good job, nerd. But like, uh, <laughs> but again, like, doing what she loves i'm like I'm, I'm fucking i'm psyched that you and your daughter had an experience like that you get the bond together and go do what you love like it's yeah. my job for me but yeah hell yeah like you can't relate but i get it and, and um reminds me of every time people try to hate on something that's popular like like star wars or something it's like you don't have to be a huge star wars fan but just know that it is for somebody like you know there's apparently millions and millions of people that love star wars so you don't have to necessarily get something, but just just know that you know there's a reason why it's popular. So same with you with Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. Like you know, we could sit here and say we don't like it all we want. It's billion dollar franchises, you know. So apparently, it's doing something right. Yeah, I, I got friends like I'm not into comics like that. Like I'm not into like Marvel and stuff like that. But I have, my friend Dan, I was listening to his podcast. He had my other friend Vinny uh, on the show the other night. He, he does something a uh, podcast called uh, "Go Go Check My uh, My Buddy Dan Out." On Google too. To look up on Google. It's called the the Rock Nerd Show, and his name is Dan, and he hosts it. Um, you can find just type in the Rock Nerd Show. The the the, uh, the uh, image of it is uh, I think purple sunglasses. It says Rock in one lens and Nerd in the other. But go check him out and go support him. He he does about comic books and stuff and about like uh, about nerdy things. It's called the Rock Nerd Show. And again, he's been in radio. Dan does a lot more radio stuff than I do. He's been working on radio since I, I was in college with him in two thousand. 2004, 2008, he was doing radio ever since then. It hasn't stopped. So go uh, Rock Nerd Show. Go check that out. Um, but again, him, I listened to that last night before before bed with him and Mark, or uh, 
his guest Vinny, who I went to college with too. And they're just talking about all this stuff about like comic books and stuff. And I'm not into it, but it's cool to hear how passionate they are. Yeah. And like cool just to see like people just being passionate about stuff and just loving it. For sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I just want to give out a couple of shout outs to, um, uh, to, to, uh, go see some, uh, two other movies, a couple of recommendations. Um, so I, I, we always have to stick with our recommendations, something that had to do with what we're talking about throughout the show for the most part. Um, I'm going to say my recommendations, I said he also made a movie called The Green Inferno, and the movie is a modern-day cannibal holocaust movie. Um, there's a movie called The Cannibal Holocaust that came out in the 70s, and they, uh, it's about cannibalism. about just and, and the same thing, Green Inferno is about a bunch of people going across seas to go help like a third-world country, and on their way back, their plane crashes in the middle of the jungle and they're attacked by a tribe and again the tribe eats them and when i watched an interview about making this film and that's what got me into it because i thought it was a cool idea for a movie but also eli roth talking about like eli roth just says what's on his mind he doesn't care what people think he hated the occupy wall street people so he said, I just want to see these people get eaten alive. He's like, he's like, everyone on this plane is people that would be in that group. And like, he's like, now they crashed into a jungle and I want to see them get eaten. Hmm. And like, again, whether you agree with it or not, like it just, he just says what he, he says what he feels. And so Green Inferno is a great movie about cannibalism. There's also a movie about disease called uh, Contracted, which came out in 2013. And it's about a girl that gets a set, she gets raped and gets a sexual transmitted disease and she ends up uh you see she she ends up losing her fingernails her uh blood she has bloodshot eyes um her, her hair her hair begins falling out in clumps um she ends up uh having maggots all over like all, all inside her back all inside her body and it's just an interesting film so yeah so bring the fur on contracted how about you steve um you could probably see this coming, what I'm going to recommend, but um, it's another movie, early 2000s, the same thing that I liked about this one. I think the same year, maybe it came out in 02 also, um, Wrong Turn, which is a great movie, and that's another movie that they had a lot of sequels through uh, for throughout the years. Um, I think they even remade it also, just like Cabin Fever. Um, Wrong Turn is a great movie, and I have to actually rewatch it myself um, to be able to give you an exact plot synopsis, but I remember really enjoying it, watching it with a group of people. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to rewatch that soon. Kind of recommending it to myself. Um, wrong turn, and I want to recommend um, Jeepers Creepers because uh, again, early two thousands horror and just a lot of similar elements. But different movie, but if you like horror movies from this era, um, Wrong Turn and Jeepers Creepers are would be right up your alley. Yeah, um, Wrong Turn's great. Um, I love Jeepers Creepers too, but Wrong Turn. Um, there's a sequel to it where it's like. It's like a survivor type, like uh, like the show Survivor. I forgot if it's Wrong Turn four or five, but there's a sequel where they're on like set of like a Survivor show, and it happens there, and like they end up being picked off one one by one. But it's not part of the show. It's these. Uh, it's again. It's like the Wrong Turn villains, whatever. Like the uh, again. I guess the Wrong Turn people are are they cannibal? No, they're, they're kind of just like yeah. I, I, the Wrong Turn reminds me of like. Texas Chance of Massacre, and like I said, and it's just, uh, again, it's the same, it, it's them picking the people up while making a Survivor show. 
Mm-hmm. And also, Eliza Dushku's in the first one, Aaron, and she was, again, one of my celebrity crushes as a kid. But, uh, yeah, so go check out those two movies. Um, That's the yeah, girl from so Bring It On, right? Yeah, yeah, she's in Bring It On. She, she's also in Buffy uh, Vampire Slayer, the show. Yeah, True Lies. And True Lies. She's in a great Leonardo DiCaprio movie called This Boy's Life from uh, 1992 or three. And, yeah, yeah, again, but you don't see her in much things anymore either. But, mm-hmm. uh, but again, but she, she was great. Um, yeah, so I just want to let you guys know during our next show, we are going to be talking about The Ring, which, uh, again, that's also uh, one of our anniversary movies in the next two months. And remember, I want you guys to catch us at Be Afraid Horror Podcast on Instagram. Again, Be Afraid Horror Podcast. And we look forward to seeing you again. Uh, be afraid, guys. Thank you, guys.